Today I want to talk uh, from the topic, I See Goodness. And it is at once a reference to Scripture, but also a declaration. We're going to read, it's one of the most famous psalms uh, that there is that David wrote. Most historians believe that David wrote it before he ascended uh, to the throne. We'll go through that here in just a few minutes. But um, Psalm chapter 27, and he gets to, I think, about verse 13 and 14. And it says, um, he says that I, I see goodness. I see goodness. Uh, we're living in, as you know, unprecedented times. It's a phrase that's been used so much lately that it seems to maybe have lost, have lost its efficacy. But for today... And for those of us that are living in uh, this new norm, as they call it, uh, that has never been truer. Isaac, take the effects off of this microphone at once. Isaac, my 14-year-old running sound for us. You did a good job this morning. Thank you, son. Go feeling you. David's running the slides. Yeah, that's It seems that now on a weekly basis we're exposed to the new norm of what's called social distancing, which is an interesting phrase because distancing yourself from another is the opposite of social. Amen. We're in the throes of racial warfare, psychological warfare, and political upheaval. I remember in the not-too-distant past when Facebook was used to share photos, catch up with old friends, have a laugh, stay connected, and share menus. But now it does more dividing than it does keeping us connected. You can make a sincere post and be hammered for days by those that call themselves on Facebook friends. We've never been more exposed to information at the same time disinformation as we are right now. And it literally requires the Holy Spirit to discern truth from lies. Make no mistake, we are in warfare, and I'm not talking about soldiers in the Middle East. I'm talking about a military term called psychological operations, or better known as psyops. Psycholo psychological operations are operations to convey selected information and indicators to audiences to influence emotions, to influence motives and objective reasoning, and ultimately to determine the behavior of governments, organizations, groups, and individuals. In 1920, British military analyst and historian J.F.C. Fuller coined the phrase psyops and stated that in a scholarly analysis of lessons that he learned during World War I, especially as it related to the employment of new weapons of armor, as I, or weapons of armor, he allowed his mind to wander imaginatively about the character of the future battlefield. In his treatise on tanks, he prophesied that the traditional means of warfare, as then known and understood, might be in time replaced by a purely psychological warfare, wherein weapons are not used on battlefields and battlefields are not solved, but rather the corruption, listen, of human reasoning, the dimming of the human intellect, and the disintegration of the moral and spiritual life of one nation by the influence of the will of another is accomplished. Now that may not sound familiar to you, but that's only because you might be asleep. But if you're awake, you can tell that we are absolutely and utterly in warfare. I'm not talking about the war on drugs. I'm not talking about the war in the Middle East. I'm talking about the war for not just the heart of a nation, but for the mind of its people. 
Now, I know this doesn't sound maybe necessarily like the Sunday morning sermon you used to give it time. Because in everything, I'm going to see goodness. And I promise you, we're going to find the Holy Spirit. But before we deal with a problem, we first have to acknowledge that we have a problem and identify what the problem is. Let me tell you what the problem is not. The problem is not that the problem is not what the Democrats say. The problem is not what the Republicans say. The, the, the problem is not that black people don't like white people. White people don't like black people. The problem is that we haven't recognized that all of us are being duped as long as we only get our information from what they say, the pundits say, on the news sources. And it is, whether you like to believe it or not, it is by design. And the design is this. If we, can, if we can divide them, if we can keep them talking about things that don't matter, keep them divided, then we will stay in control. Is it any wonder that there are people in control of our Senate and, and, and in Congress just in the United States alone that have been there for 30 and 40 and 50 years and they're preaching that they're going to bring a change? And what's worse is we're ignorant enough to believe that they're actually going to change. Well, you've been here for 40 years. What change have you brought? And I'm not picking one side versus the other. That's exactly what they would like for us to do. Whether you're on the left wing or right wing, they're both connected to the same bird. The issue is we have given up our, our, our God-given right to think for ourselves. To ask the Holy Spirit, okay, I know what they're saying, but if I were to be completely honest and do just a little bit of research, I can understand, with some critical thinking, I can understand. Every, in this, because you can turn, literally, you can turn on Fox News on this side of the wall and CNN on this side of the wall. And they're going to say totally opposite things and it'll be spun in a different way. So how do we choose which one that we're going to listen to? Fasten your safety belts. It gets better or worse, depending on your perspective. And so we live in a culture where we fight people, where we say things behind the keyboard that we would never say to someone in defense. They call them keyboard warriors. I can see a picture, picture with a little light in Mama's basement, and they're just, just hacking away, hacking away. God knows they would never put on a uniform and actually become a soldier, so the way that they do their warfare is just to attack, 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 attack. And they attack everything. And who is, who is, who is the they? Well, the ones that are doing the attacking. Maybe, maybe it's people, I don't know. But this is, this is our new reality, and this is the norm. If you think that COVID-19 is the worst, that is not the pandemic. The pandemic is division caused by fear. And they want us to choose a side and take up arms against our brothers and sisters. I said weeks ago, how in the world did something that happened in Minnesota cause riots in Statesville? Was it bad? Absolutely. Was it terrible? What about what happened in Raleigh? Was that bad? Absolutely. Was it, yes, but it should not cause division in Statesville. And there's a reason that certain stories are picked out and, and highlighted and, and put nonstop on media. And it's not so that someone can get uh, someone can get justice. It's because they want the desired end is to divide and conquer. Everybody take a deep breath. Wait up if you still like me. If you never liked me in the first place, wait anyway. I'm going to survive it, I promise. We need, now more than ever, Real prophetic voices in the land. I dare say we've all been made soldiers by having been provided a platform to disseminate information in real time. We have in many instances become parents of the national news media. And it just depends on which, which station or which side you listen to. We need real prophetic voices. We have too many echoes, not enough voices. Social media has been weaponized and it's used daily to divide. 
and we are the foot soldiers who hear our orders from the left or the right wing media and go to war against our brothers and sisters daily with what they told us to believe and what they say is their truth. What a dumb phrase. This is my truth. Amen. That is the stupidest phrase that has ever been called. You don't have your own truth. There's just truth. And whether or not you like it, it's still true. It doesn't change because it hurts your feelings. I've said many times, emotions make wonderful servants, but they make terrible masters. And what happens is we have a generation now that is being led around like a puppy on a leash by their emotions. So if we can invoke, uh, invoke a certain emotion from this, from this set, if we can invoke a certain emotion, we can get them to turn against the ones on this, on this side of the, of, of the spectrum. Well, you're quiet. You're thinking hard. Everybody take a deep breath. There's smoke's coming out of your ears. You thought I was going to preach on, if you give your best hundred dollars, God's going to bless you with a million, a boat, and everything else. If you come for popcorn and candy balls, you're in the wrong restaurant, dude. It's a civil war of sorts. We don't kill each other with guns necessarily, but we're so quick to assassinate the character of those with whom we disagree. Research and analysis has been replaced by a quick Google search and the repeating of headlines as though it was subtle truth. Is this, is this really true? I'm just setting a, a platform, a, a foundation for what I'm saying. At some point in time, the real prophets are going to have to stand up and declare first the word of the Lord and tell people, hey, you've been doomed. And it's not comfortable, and it ain't easy. And only there will only be those that have a mature spirit that will say, I need to hear what's being said. Because it's comfortable to, to, it's comfortable to sit on your couch and throw up your remote and say, oh, this doctor says this. I'm going to repeat it as though, I'm, as, as though I'm a doctor myself. All the while believing our cause is worth fighting for, and the end game was always to get us to fight against each other. It doesn't matter what the cause is. But where are the deserters? I started to name that. Where are our discerners? The ones full of the Holy Spirit that said, that's not it. This, this, is not, this ain't it, Chief. That's, this ain't it. Anything that the media uses to divide you against your brother or sister is a weapon, and you should not take part. I'm not suggesting you don't be principled. You need to be principled. Believe me, if anybody knows how principles can get you attacked from both sides of an argument, you're looking at it. I understand that. I get that. Be principled. But for God's sake, if you're going to speak, be the voice of a prophet. Be the voice of the Holy Spirit. Be the voice of reason instead of the voice of division. Where are the real sons and daughters of God? Where are those who have been so baptized in spirit and presence that they refuse to be duped? And they refused to take sides. Remember when uh, Joshua was going in to take Jericho, and just before he goes in, the Bible says that this this being appears to him, and Joshua gets his sword because you know, Joshua was a he was a stone a stone mason. He cut stones, and he was a warrior. And as soon as he sees someone that he doesn't recognize, he's ready to fight. He said, "Hey, are you for us? Or are you for them? You need to pick a side." And one of the cat he said, "Listen." I am the captain of the host of the armies of the Lord, and I have not come to take sides. Essentially, I've come to take over. Whose side are you on, Joshua? Emotions make great servants, terrible masters. Now more than ever, the earth is in travail. Romans 8, 19 says, For even the whole creation, even all, all creation, 
All of nature waits expectantly. And that word expectantly is the same word when we think of an expectant woman that is about to give birth. The earth is waiting and pregnant and fully expecting and longing earnestly for God's sons and daughters to be, to be made known and for their dis the disclosing of their sonship. Romans 8, 19. All of creation groans and travails and waits for one thing. For sons and daughters of God to stand up and say, I am not a son or a daughter of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or this party or that party. I'm first a citizen of a kingdom, an ambassador of that kingdom, and a son of God. And I will refuse to divide myself along other lines because that's what they want. But that's not the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't look like that. The kingdom is red and yellow and black and white and everything else in between. Children are of the kingdom. Jesus said, allow the children to come to me and forbid them not. But when you see them, you see the kingdom. That's what the kingdom looks like. Jesus said to his disciples in the pattern prayer, teach us how to pray. He said, when you pray, make sure that you cover these bases. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom and thy will be done one day in the sweet by and by. Thy, thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth. Now you tell me if sit behind your keyboard and taking a shot at the person on the other side of the screen, is that thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven? Or have, is it possible that all of us have been sucked in, have been vacuumed in to this argumentative society where we're right and we're the only one that's right and by God we're going to let them know that we're right. I'm either hitting the nail on the head or I couldn't be more off base. Thank God I'd be the latter. Or the former. <laughs> For even all creation groans and travails and waits as a mother giving birth, waiting for the manifestation of God. I'll tell you a story that I've told some of you before. In 1998, I was in uh, uh, India, in southern India, in Andhra Pradesh, and I was headed, I'd been there probably at this time, maybe five or six weeks, and I was headed to a city called Adoni. And it's, this is where I wrote the, the song you heard that I wrote, the song Jude, um, like clouds without rain, see that one. And as I'm, and, and, and during the day, the, the, the ones that mattered, not me, I was just a 20-year-old nothing, but the ones that mattered did pastor conferences. Well, they bored me. Um, because I didn't agree with most of what they were saying, and it bored me. I just wanted to see people healed and saved and all that stuff. So I liked the big crusades we would do at night during the day. The pastors, they thought they knew everything, and I didn't like those people. I still don't. <laughs> Not a fan of preachers that think they know everything. I don't know everything. The one thing you'll learn about me is I'm, I'm very committed and firm on what I've learned, but I'll be the first to tell you I've got a lot of long ways to go. I'm happy because when you stop learning, you stop growing. When you stop growing, you start dying. There are things that I believe and see about the kingdom now I didn't know two, three, four, five years ago. There are things I see and know about our country that I didn't know two, three, four, five, five years ago. But I'm in this, so, so I said, I don't want to go to this today. I'm going to take, I'm going to take this, this cab, and I'm going to have this guy take me over to this mountain where there are multiple temples on this mountain, visit the temples, and, uh, and worship. And so um, I wasn't going to worship what they worship, but I was going to worship. And so I got in the car, and I'll never forget, I'm driving, it's just, it's just dry, desert, um, there's no greenery anywhere. I mean, the car, just the, the tires, you know, you can imagine the dust coming up from the road. And I remember looking at and I'm looking in the face of like these, these animals and they're just, you can see their bones and their rib cages because they're just, it's just a destitute place. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's nothing of, uh, of abundance there. And I'm looking, I'll never forget, I look into the face of a goat 
I know it sounds weird, but I just can't forget it. When the back seat's not looking, because we're going kind of slow. If you've ever been to India, there's, you either go slow or you go fast, but um, the road, it's not like roads here. It's just kind of like, just point, driving that direction. And if another truck's coming the opposite direction, it's bigger, get out of their way, because they will run you over. And I look in the face of this goat, and it was almost as if the goat was looking at me, and, and there's no way that the goat said this, but my, it's just like we connected. He's like, hey, you finally come to redeem us from this mess. I mean, I really felt that way. Not as though I'm something, but I am a son of God, just like you are sons and daughters of God. And I believe that all creation, including the things that are inanimate, including even plants and grass and, and not just people, but all creation is growing and waiting for sons. Can you imagine when Jesus walked? When the one that created the land walked on the land, surely there was a response. Surely when he walked by trees, in fact, he expected there to be a response so much that when he walked up to a fig tree one day, it was out of season. And because he walked up, the fig tree should have produced figs for him to eat off of. Because where he goes, there is life. And everything that is in creation responds to that one which, which brings life. And when he didn't give him what he hoped, he cursed it. Anybody remember this? He cursed the fig tree. Here's a, here's, a, here's a little bit of a side for you. He cursed the fig tree and said, from this day forward, no fruit shall grow on you forever. Remember that fig tree? Do you remember what Adam and Eve said together when they thought that they were naked because they, they, they thought they were naked so they hear from God? What did they use to cover them, their nakedness? That's right. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he's like, me and I have to cover anymore. You're going to come face to face with the Lord. So I'm going to curse the fig tree. Not only will not only you not cover yourself, you won't be able to find a fig. That's the free part. That's not what I'm preaching. But it's all creation is waiting. Instead of being the answer to the cries of our generation, we join in on the argument and think we're doing, I guess, ourselves a service. May think we're doing God's service. We're too busy with slander that we've forgotten surrender. Creation itself is crying out for deliverance all the while the sons and daughters of God are too busy fighting. We're too busy taking jabs from the cloak of the keyboard that we don't have time to reveal the coming kingdom. I was posting some this week, and I'm not going into the post, but some of you, several hundred of you were a part of those posts, which I do from time to time. I post photos of my family and thoughts that I have. Sometimes the Holy Spirit prompts me, and I post what He reveals to me to the best of my ability. And many of you know that I did that this week and the backlash was severe. If you saw the messages I got, they were worse than what people put on Facebook. And yet there was always others that came and said, I can't believe that you're saying what you're saying in the position you're in. I got to work and I literally had a man look at me and say, you can't say that stuff about the blacks if you want to stay in business and, and actually make money. His exact words. I stormed out of his office and thought, I'm not going to change places. It's not anyone that you know. But that was, that was thinking, how dare you say that to me? You actually think you put a premium on making money above, above calling out injustice in society? That's the, way, that's the way society thinks. In fact, they already had a conversation about my Facebook post. Go back and read my Facebook. I don't even see how it's controversial. They're just essentially just talking about things that have happened and trying to give a perspective from a, a kingdom, new creation perspective. And I wasn't saying that y'all suck or anything like that. <laughs> that was said on there. What I care about is the willingness of people. I'm sorry. I, I don't care that I got backlash. What I do care about is the willingness of people to slander or cut off a relationship based on a social media post. For a person like me who values relationship and feels 
the prophetic burden of a generation becomes overwhelming. How long, O oh Lord, is a phrase that frequents my thoughts as I think about the possible collateral damage that is done when incendiary comments and posts are made. So, I got into my car. I went to go to the gym. I had no energy or strength or desire to be at the gym, so I drove over here to the church. And on the way over to the church, the Lord's Spirit, like a warm blanket, fell over me. And this phrase came to my heart. I would have lost heart. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Yes. And again, it came on. I would have fainted if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. My heart would have failed me. I'm just giving you a different translation. My heart would have failed me if I had not believed that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I would have killed over and died except that I believed that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. It was like a warm shower and a blanket because the declaration is, I know what's happened, but I refuse to stop. I refuse to faint. I refuse to die. I refuse to let my heart fail within me because I know that I will see the goodness of God not in the sweet by by. Psalm chapter 27, David has yet to ascend to the throne and is being relentlessly hunted by King Saul. Because when God wants a man after his own heart to rule, the old kingdom is fierce in its attempt to thwart those plans. I'm going to say it again. When God has and finds a person or a company of people that he chooses, that he wants to be the ones that set policy, and he wants to be the ones that rule and reign, those that are already in power that don't have his heart, that with the rod of iron that are mean and are vindictive, they don't like the fact that God wants to replace them with someone that has his heart. And so they'll do whatever they can. So David, who has been anointed king, and David, who was forgotten, by the way, by his father and mother, did you know that when Samuel the prophet is told by God, go to the house of Jesse the Bethlehemite, because from among his sons, I have chosen for myself a king, and he's got my heart, and he will rule my people in the way that I would rule my people. And Samuel said, but if I go, evil Saul will kill me. And the Lord said to him, go and make a sacrifice, and take a heifer, and kill that, and kill it there. Why are you there going to Jesse's house? And so Jesse calls his sons, but he doesn't call David. Some historians and some theologians believe the reason that he, he didn't call David was because David would have been considered an illegitimate child because he did not have the same mother as his seven brothers and he was an embarrassment to his father and he was an embarrassment to his family so while the seven are presented to the, to the, to the prophet Samuel to become king, David's out minding the sheep completely and utterly forgotten about doing daddy's bidding but he didn't dare eat at the same table as his brothers, he didn't dare And so David is born into a life that he didn't ask for, and he's forgotten about his own family. And yet God never forgot about him, because when God chooses a king, the Bible says that God said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And when he looks at the heart of this young boy as a teenager who was tending to his father's sheep,
to, to kill one of the sheep. David says, not on my watch. And he goes and he attacks the lion. That's what real shepherds do when they see lions and bears coming. They go and fight on behalf of the sheep. Thank God for the good shepherd that did that for us. And one day a bear was coming. He was going to take one of the father's sheep. And instead of it being a bloody sacrifice, David said, no, I'll give my life. And he kills a bear. And guess what he didn't do? He didn't get on Facebook and say, you ain't going to believe what I just did. Like a lot of Facebook preachers do, you ain't going to believe how the Lord just used me. I just gave $100 to this poor guy on the side of the road. And by the way, here's my picture of it. You jerk. That's not ministry. That's called being a... Ask me after church and I'll tell you what that's called. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss I mean, can we just be real? That's not called being... Jesus, Jesus did everything that he did, almost everything, almost everything covertly. In fact, most of the time that he did what he did, he would say, now don't tell them what happened. Yeah. Don't make note of it. They did it anyways because you can't hide real true sons and true daughters. You can't hide it but, but because they're like a seed. Like I said, you've read the little thing. They thought, they thought they buried you, but you were a seed, so you weren't buried. You were planted. And at some point, with enough water and sunlight, whatever's, whatever's planted is going to rise to the top. And David's forgotten about it. Now David, and David has gone to battle for King Saul. You remember when he comes before this giant. Am I okay on time? Everybody stay with me. Am I boring anybody? I don't want to bore you. And he comes upon this giant and he says, he's just bringing bread and cheese to his brothers. Because, you know, he's just a, the, the gopher, the little boy that does what daddy says. Go take, go take your brothers. The real warrior's bread and cheese. And so David goes and brings bread and cheese to his brothers. And in the, in the side of his ear, he hears this and looks over and sees this 9 or 12 or 13 foot, depending on your perspective, giant. Essentially, a guy as tall as that wall there. And he says, he says he's defying the armies of the Lord. He's talking, just laughing at him and mocking. And David said, who is this? He calls him an uncircumcised Philistine because at that time the children of God were known because they were circumcised. And he said, he's not one of us. Who is he to defy the armies of the Lord? Here's some bread and cheese, bro. And he hands the bread and cheese to his brothers who are shaking in their boots and refuse to go to battle. So here's what happens. Goliath stands on one mountain and David stands on the other. What it is is a prophetic picture of the enemy and Jesus that's going to come in the future because Goliath says this. Pick one lawyer, one soldier to come and fight me. And if I win, then he and all of Israel will worship and serve me. But if he wins, then all of, my, all of their enemies will serve Israel. It was a picture of Jesus because he would go to battle for us against the curse and sin and Satan and he would win the victory and all of us would get to participate because what he did. And David said, Saul, I'll go kill him. And Saul says, you will? He said, here, take my armor. Saul was more than seven foot tall. The Bible calls him head and shoulders above everybody else historically. He was more than seven foot tall. He said, here, put it. So David puts on his seven. He's like, man, I can't even move in this. One of the most, one of the wisest things David ever did was to take off that garb and just be himself. Yeah. That's why when I say stuff like ask me after church, I'm a whole lot more effective just being me than trying to come in a three-piece suit and act like I'm something that I'm not. We got enough of that trash going on Facebook. We don't need any more of it. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Just want to make sure. That's fine. And so David takes his sling, he takes out the lion. So he's killed a lion, he's killed a bear, he's killed a lion. And, he, and he's, he's known for his valor in battle so much that in the streets of Jerusalem, they would hear this Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul has killed thousands. I mean, that was a what? That was a song of adulation. It was a song of adoration. Saul has killed so many thousands, but David is tens of thousands in his reign, and finally called the ear of Saul. He said, "What did they say? 
they say? And from that moment, he was enraged at David. And he wanted to kill David. In fact, the fact that David had done this, you know, he won his daughter Michal. And long story short, now David is on the run. And he finally winds up in this place called Adullam, the cave of Adullam, where he's got about three or four hundred people that come and learn about his mighty exploits. And yet he's running for his life from the king for which he did those exploits. So he's rejected by his family. He's overlooked by his own father. He wins battles on behalf of Israel and Saul. He's anointed king by the prophet of Israel. And yet he's having to live in a cave because no fault of his own. He's just doing what God has called him to do. He's just being called him to be. So you can imagine if any one of us were to face those circumstances and wind up living in a cave because all we've ever done is right and good and have the favor of God, at some point it would become heart-wrenching and, and, and you just want to say, Lord, how long, Lord? How long do I have to run for my life? You anointed me. I didn't ask for this. I just simply was doing a good job with the sheep. I just simply was taking out a giant. I wasn't trying to become the next one. And you anointed me and you appointed me and now the ones that are in charge want to kill me. This is the backdrop for Psalm 27. So probably, at least in the way that I believe in my studies, probably David is in a cave of Adullam or another cave. Some scholars contend this is a retrospective near the end of David's life when he wrote it, but he wrote it with the context of, I have everything going against me. But the Septuagint reads this before Psalm 27. Starts, which is one of the original renderings. David's poetic praise to God before he was anointed king. So most likely this, he wrote it then, not later as a retrospective. Either way, the words hold eternal weight in the times of uncertainty and turmoil. The psalm is a cry for and ultimately a declaration of belief in the greatness of God and trust in the protection he provides. Listen, it's broken into two portions. The first portion of Psalm 27 declares the power of God and the boundless hope that God will bring rescue and protection and, and, and protection from enemies. But the second portion has a clear shift in tone with the declaration of this, I believe. The first half of the scripture talks about how God is wonderful and he's a warrior and he's mighty and he'll protect. And the second half is this, and I believe. For that reason, I believe. Yeah. Because of his goodness, I believe. Because I saw it when the lion came, I believe. And because I saw it when the bear came, I believe. And because I saw it when I whirled a rock at the head of that giant, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, something like a, the sound of a rushing mighty wind got behind the rock and put it right in the forehead of Goliath, and he fell forward. Because of that, I believe. Yes, yes. He has David numerous, numerous victories to his credit, not the least of which are this defeated. Psalms are written about his life in battle. He was, I want to pass over that. He's so significant in his early life that he's passed over. And yet God chose him, appointed him, and anointed him to rule. Yeah. But he ain't ruling. He's stuck in a cave, passing, you know, 300 people. Literally. He's running, and in the midst of his running, breathless and tired, Weary and worn, looking back on what his life could have become, and looking forward to what could be, the warrior psalmist pins the following. The Lord is my light 
and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple and to be sure the temple had not yet been built when he wrote this song. He's not talking about something made by hand. He's saying that he longs to be surrounded with God's presence, enclosed and encircled with his holiness. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer his in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said, you, dear Lord, O Lord, your face, O Lord, shall I seek. So do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me. Oh, God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, I told you. And, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. And I would have despaired. I would have fainted. I would have lost heart and died unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The Hebrew most commonly associated with that word wait upon the Lord is quava, which also means to tie together by twisting or to be entwined or to wrap tightly. It's the beautiful concept of waiting upon God, not as something passive, but that we are so entwined with his heart and with his purposes that he refuses to move forward without bringing us with him. I would have despaired. I would have lost heart. I would have faded. I would have given up. But I have determined within my soul that I will see the goodness of God while I live. I will see the goodness of God in my life. I, it's a declaration. It's not just a prayer of hope. It is that. But it's a declaration. I will see His goodness in my life. And I will see His goodness in the middle of In the land of the living. Yes. If I don't have this declaration, I'm going to lose heart. If I don't have this hope, the Bible says that, that hope deferred or hope put off 
heart sick. But I have this hope. And I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Maybe you and your life are in a desert season. Or maybe you feel locked away in a cave. Or maybe all hell has broken loose like with David. And your family has turned against you. And circumstances seem to turn against you. And even the anointing of God that should have attracted a crown has attracted a spear that's being thrown at you. I want to challenge you to say like David, I would have fainted. But I chose and I declare that I will see the goodness of God manifest in my life. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Yes, amen. My back's been killing me for weeks. And I could say that God's forsaken me. But I choose to believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living in my back. My family has turned against me. But I choose to believe. He's too good to leave me here. There's an old song that says, He didn't bring us this far to leave us, and He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build His home on us to move away. He didn't bring us this far to let us down. That's right. I will see the goodness of God. It's a thought of perspective. It's not just one day I'll look up and there it is. It's I choose to see. I have the perspective that because he's so good, he can't help himself but to allow that goodness to manifest no matter what my circumstance. I will see. Remember the New Testament Jesus has given. Think about this. Jesus goes up onto a mountain like Moses went up onto a mountain. And when Moses goes onto a mountain, he gets the constitution of the Old Testament. When Jesus goes up on the Mount of Olives and gives the Olivet Discourse, he gives the constitution of the New Testament. And the constitution of the New Testament is blessed are ye. Remember, he says, blessed are ye. Here's the one that he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It makes it sound as though being pure gives the result that you see God. But that's not exactly the way the tense of the verb is. It's blessed are the pure in heart they shall see God. It's they will choose to see God in every situation. Yeah. If you're pure in heart, you will look until you see God. When, when all hell is broken against you, you will look and find God in your situation. If you're pure of heart, you'll know because God's too good to leave you in this situation. He's too good to leave me here. He's too good to bring me to this and leave me destitute and devastated and destroyed and distraught. He's too good for that. So I will see the goodness of God in the land. It might not have come yet. And it might look like everything is again, but I will see. Yeah. Yes. It ain't over until it's over. And it ain't over until I see the goodness of God. Not after I die. In the land of the living. I don't know, Eli Kinsey. And it doesn't really matter to me what your particular circumstances are. Not because it's not important, but we all have a story. Everybody has. Some of you are facing the passing, the possible passing of a loved one. Some of you are facing the broken uh, health. Some of you are facing broken family. If I gave you my story in the past month, everybody in here would pity me, and that's why I came on know because I don't need people. But I, I know, I know that though I could have, and circumstances could have caused me to lose heart, I would have fainted. But I know that I will see, say with me, I will see the goodness of God in my life. I will see the goodness of God in my life. 
For some of you, it's a cry of desperation. For some of you, it's a declaration of hope, but it needs to be said. It needs to be what's at the forefront of our thoughts and what's at the forefront of our hearts. I'm going to see His goodness. I'm going to see His goodness. But you haven't seen it in years. You haven't noticed it. Well, then I'm going to change my perspective. Don't, please don't think that I'm being dismissive of your circumstance. I know that some of you are literally in the fight for your life. I know some of you physically have been in the fight for your life. I know some of you emotionally and relationally are in the fight of your life. I know some of you financially, but this COVID mess are in the fight of your life. I get it. Believe me, I get it. I'm not being dismissive, but here's the deal. I will say about your situation that is probably utterly devastating, like, like Paul says, I reckon that the, the sufferings of this present time, he says the words, I reckon, Paul was southern. <laughs> Literally says, I reckon. The first time I read that, I'm like, that Paul's from the south. But what he says is not a reckon. What he literally says is, I've calculated it all up. And I've weighed the pros and I've weighed the cons. And when it all filters down, when it all figures out, and I've calculated everything, I suppose that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in me. The sufferings of this present time, the brokenness, the devastation, the feeling of being left alone and destitute, it's not even worthy to be compared with what Father God has prepared. There's another scripture that says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and it's so great that it has not entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love You can't possibly wrap up with your intellect the goodness of God. It's too massive, it's too big. Before your circumstances came, his goodness already was. And because he feels all things with himself, it's just a matter of time. That's why David says to wait upon the Lord. I have intertwined myself to his purposes. I have intertwined my fingers with his fingers and my heart with his heart. Because even though he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, it's just a shadow of death because Jesus took the sting of death and it cannot touch my life or my yes. I will see the goodness of God in the land of love. I feel like I'm more of a coach today than a preacher. I don't consider myself much of a preacher anyways. I'm trying to get you to believe. I've said before as a coach, all you have to do really is coaching, especially little kids, is get the child to believe they can do what you've asked them to do. That's the biggest part of coaching, to get them to believe in themselves, and they will do things that will probably even shock and surprise you. I'm trying to get you to believe that beyond your circumstance, is his goodness. And beyond what the pundits say is his goodness. And the real truth is only his truth. And everything else is not true. And it falls flat in light of his truth. And what is his truth? That he's good. That he's always good. He's always only good. And he does those things out of everything that he does, he does from his nature. God is not looking to reward or punish. He just operates from his nature, which is goodness. Imagine a father with a heart to give to estranged children as much as he does to children that aren't estranged because he's a good father. That's, that's why that song hits such a nerve because a lot of people don't even know what a natural good that is. It's hard for them to relate to what a good father means. But a good father lays down his life for his children. I would have fainted.
I'll see his goodness in the land of the living. Another way to say this, I believe that thy kingdom come and your will be done. In earth. This is the kingdom I've said to you multiple times because I preached them and I had to learn myself. Kingdom means the royalty, the rule, the realm, and the reign. When, when Jesus prays and you pray that kingdom come, it's not about some floating city that's going to come and we get a golden house. No, he's saying, in my life, I want you to rule and I want you to reign and I want to have your royalty. something that has been said today is grabbing a hold of your heart and you're wanting to change your perspective from everything that they've said is happening today, everything they want you to believe and the division that they're trying to incite. If you want to be prayed with, come on up to the front. You can stay in your seat too. If you want to, I feel like there's somebody that just, just, just want that agreement. Stop. Paul said this, and I thought the thing is so powerful. Paul said, Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, and he tells you how to do it, by the renewing of your mind. That's what's at play is, is your soul, but the way that the enemy gets to the soul is through your mind. If he can get you to believe things about yourself and others, that's not true. If he can get you warring with yourself and others about things that are not true, then you're not going to experience transformation. Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. And here's how I'm going to think from now on. Although I don't ignore the circumstances, I refuse to give them a place of influence in my life. What I'm going to say is I will see the goodness of God and the life of the Lord living. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you are good. Yes. Not that you do good only, but that you are good, that your nature is good. But Lord, we don't negate or try to minimize things that people are going through. Including your children, Lord. You know the, the tears and the deep sighs that we give Sometimes now it seems on a daily basis. Signs of desperation and cries of despair. And we would despair. Our hearts would fail us. Except we believe that we will see your goodness in our land. We will see your goodness in our life. We will see your goodness in our jobs and in our schools and in our marriages and relationships. We will see your goodness in our health. We will see your goodness in our future and our present. Help us to have a paradigm shift in the way that we see, think, and perceive. Give us a pure heart so that we see you in all things that are happening. Help us not to be dividers, but to be uniters. Help us to be quick to beat our swords into plowshares. Let us plant something instead of cutting something off. Help us to give life and not kill. 
Help us to be spiritually led and critical thinkers. Bring maturity to your body. All these things we pray in Jesus' name.